Welcome to the media ministry of Crossroads Church Aspen. To learn more about Crossroads, visit our website at ccaspen.com. We hope you enjoyed this message by Pastor Steve Woodrow. God bless you. Go ahead and have a seat if you would. So good to be together this morning. Glad you guys are here to worship. Yeah, Mike, come on up. Come on up, please. Uh, Steve is down with his daughter and uh, lots of family for a wedding, for Megan's wedding in uh, Mexico. Yeah, how about that? Some of you didn't know that. How about that, right? Yeah. Uh, his name is Jordan, and uh, he's a great guy, and I'm sure we'll, maybe we'll see some photos next week. But Mike Taylor, one of our elders, is going to bring the word. Man, thank you for sharing this morning. Appreciate it. Would you welcome him, please? There were more people here the first service. I don't know if that means word got out that maybe Steve wasn't going to be here and that's what somebody was expecting, or maybe it got out that I'm talking and that could be the the reason too. But uh, anyway, it's been an interesting year. Oh, hi Emma. How you doing? Great. Just met Emma. She's new to town. Uh, If you want to meet just a fun person with a great story. Uh, That's her. Anyway, sorry about that. Um, It's been an interesting year, hasn't it? When you think about where we were a year ago, where we were a year ago, the things that strike me are obviously first that COVID had hit and we were pretty much shut down in, in all different kind of ways, whether it was at work, um, whether it was play. I remember we were out walking one day and we were walking on the golf course because if you remember, you were supposed to stay six feet away from somebody else. You had to be wearing a mask. We're walking on the golf course and the golf course is closed. Signs all around it. Golf course closed. Guy came up to us in a cart and said, you need to get off the course. It's just Kathy and I. (laughs) And we said, we have to get off the course. Yes, the golf course is closed. And we go, you want us to maintain distance, or the city wants to, not the guy, wants us to maintain dis- distance, and we're out here, and there's, I don't know, 18 holes worth of space, and not another person, and we had to get off the golf course. Just really bizarre like that. For some of us, last year may have meant the loss of a job, loss of just work. We don't have anything to do. We don't know what the future is going to hold in that. We all had isolation going on, isolation from family, isolation from friends, and how do we handle this? This is something we haven't faced before. For some of us, it was illness, some type of medical condition, some type of surgery. That was, that was my story at that point, going through a surgical procedure and trying to deal with that along with isolation and COVID and separation. And some of us was loss of a family member or a close friend. What a year it was. Question then comes up is, how did we deal with those things? How do we deal with those things now? Somehow in all of this, I think that it comes back to an issue of God at some point because the worldly solutions, the worldly answers don't 
give us the meaning we need. There's got to be something more to it than that. And I think the, the concept of faith, as you can see on there, faith, taking God at his word, is really the part that, that to, we need to focus on. Now, does anybody in here have a diamond that I can borrow for, I don't know, a couple of months or something like that? No. Seriously, does anybody have a diamond? If you do, just... Okay. Well, if you've got one, take a look at it. And if you're sitting near somebody, let them take a look at it too. Don't give it to them. And just, what do you think of when you see a diamond? It sparkles. It's a small group. I mean, you can shout out some kind of answer. Value, perfection. Cuts glass. It it has a lot of facets. And that's what I think of with faith. Faith has so many different facets to it. There's no way that we could cover all of it here this morning or maybe not even here in our lifetime. It's just, it's got... The diamond reflects things in different ways. It shows the craftsmanship of the guy who cut it. It shows an an intensity, a purposefulness, and that's what faith is. Um, When you think of faith, what kind of things come to mind? First one that I think of is the idea of blind faith. I mean, how many times have we heard that or have we said that? Well, this is just blind faith. That kind of doesn't work for me because it seems like blind faith is contrary to something, contrary to evidence, contrary to what we know is going to go on, that it is going to happen. So we enter into it blindly. Or along with that is the idea of a leap of faith. Has anybody ever said that? I'm going to take a leap of faith. Well, that seems more like wishful thinking. <laughs> Somebody did right there. <laughs> Emma, you're going to get called on all kinds if you just, if you just keep doing this. <laughs> like a bingo card every time I hear my name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but leap of faith is more like wishful thinking. And, and it's the unknowable, but we're going to go into it anyway. We're just going to go for it. And sometimes we think of asking other people, what is your faith? And that can mean so many different things to so many different peoples, depending on where you're coming from, what your life experience has been. Or we may ask them, or we may ask ourselves, do you have faith? What do we mean by that? Do you have faith? Or we've often said to somebody, you just have to have faith. We don't know what else to say, so we go with that. I know I've said it before, I know I've had it said to me, and it really didn't do um, a whole lot of good. I think the important thing when we think about faith is, what are we putting our faith in? Whatever it is, what are we putting our faith in? What are some of those things? Well, for me, what am I putting faith in? My own abilities. I can take care of things. That's what I'm putting my faith in. Maybe I'm putting my faith in my future. But how do I know what that's going to be? I'm just kind of, there I'm kind of blindly doing it. I'm putting my faith in my future. 
or my friends. And sometimes friends have been some of the best things, the best experiences of seeing a place that I can put my faith. But then there's the times when friends let us down and we find out that that wasn't a place that we should put our faith. Or our family. They can be a great support and they can be incredible, but they can let us down too. Our job. If we put our faith in our job this past year, who knows? Who knows? Or maybe it's our retirement, our investment accounts, our stocks. Just enough so that we can say, I don't have to worry about the future because I've got it taken care of. Maybe it's the services that are provided by others. Think about things like insurance, for those of this group would understand, Medicare, uh, Social Security. Can we put our trust and our faith in those knowing that it's going to work in the future? If any of these things fit your description, and I know they do mine, I got to ask the question, and I ask myself, how's that working out for you? It's made me ponder and reconsider a lot of things uh, this past year. Or perhaps some of you may remember the verse in the Bible, which is in Romans, and it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That gives us a whole different starting point. It's hearing from God and hearing what he has said to us through the word. If we were to look at uh, a, a biblical dictionary, it would say in the New Testament, the English word is used to translate the Greek word pistis. Pistis is used of belief with the predominant idea of trust or confidence, whether in God or in Christ, springing from the same. Faith means trust, confidence, assurance, and belief. And about 40 years ago, I heard somebody describe faith as putting your trust or taking God at his word. And that has worked for me over 40 years. You know, I, I get in a situation or something come up, I'll read it, and I go, faith, if I'm putting my trust in God, taking God at his word, then that definition of faith has worked for me. You know, <clears throat> a great place to start with looking at faith is, is in Hebrews chapter 11. And I was having lunch with a couple of guys <clears throat> this week, and they knew that I was going to be speaking, and they said, well, what are you going to talk on? Hebrews chapter 11. Okay. Well, you know, the hall of faith. Okay. So I had to explain to him what it was. So if you're wondering what Hebrews 11 and the hall of faith has to do, you're in really good company. So let's take a look here in Hebrews chapter 11. In the beginning, the first three verses really set the stage for the rest of this hall of faith, this description of these great men and women of faith. <clears throat> now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
faith, the assurance of things hoped for, convictions of things not seen. And we're going to see these following people who are described as people who took that um, and, and lived it out. So in this following verses, we see a whole bunch of people that God lists that we can learn from. And it starts with Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab the harlot, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel. Did you ever think there would be that many people that God could talk about and that we could learn from in that? Let's start with uh, reading through these. And the thing you're going to notice as we get this description from God, it's those two little words, by faith. These things happened. These people were able to live. Starting in verse 4, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So Cain and Abel were you know, children of Adam and Eve, and they came to, to present a sacrifice and Abel's sacrifice was that of meat. It was a sacrifice of a, an animal. Abel didn't, or Cain didn't do that. And God blessed and accepted his faith of Abel because he did what he was told to do. He was to bring a sacrifice. And so we see, by faith, Abel heard what God said, and he did it. He took God at his word. If we go on to verse 5, <clears throat> by faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Here's that idea of what we're putting our faith in. Believing God, putting our faith in Him, taking it from His Word, and acting upon that. So Enoch was a guy who never died. He was here one day, and the next day, he was gone. God miraculously took him to be with Him in heaven. A place that we have that promise too. If our faith is in God, our faith is in Christ, we have that same promise that we'll end up uh, in eternity with Him. If we go down to, to verse 7, by faith Noah, being warned by God concern, concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. We pretty much all know the story of Noah. And God spoke to him and said, hey, I'm going to destroy the world. The people are evil. We need to start over. And what I want you to do is to build an ark. Now, how much faith does that take? If God said to you, hey, build an ark, you know, doesn't look like rain. There's no reason to believe that it's going to happen. But I want you to build an ark, and I've got a plan. Noah took God at his word, did what God asked him to do, and that shows that God credited that to Noah as his as righteousness because he was obedient to him. Go down to verse 8, another one. By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place 
that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, again, taking God at his word, he went to live in a land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that, was, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham, one of the patriarchs, the foundation of the Jewish nation, and every person that they all look up to, a person that we as believers can trust in Abraham. So Abraham gets this word from God, I'm going to do something special to you because I am God and I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless all the world through your descendants. And the Abrahamic covenant that God made with him is, I'm going to be your God, you are going to be my people, and I will dwell with you for eternity. Now, you know, that's a pretty big promise from a guy who's just kind of a nobody out there. He's wandering around in the desert. He's got a few, you know, sheep and goats or that kind of stuff. And God comes to him and tells him, you are going to be this person in my plan for all of eternity. What did Abraham do? He had a choice. He could have said, no, I'm not going to leave here. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to give up all that I've got. But he took God at his word and he obeyed him. And God blessed him. And that was credited to him, it says, as faithfulness. Abraham's wife in verse, let's see, where are we here? Verse 11, by faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now remember, Abraham and Sarah are getting older. I mean, they're up into their, what I guess, 90s. And they're supposed to have these generations of people after them. They're supposed to have children that are going to have children and children, and everybody will be blessed with them. They don't have any children at this point. An angel comes to her and says, okay, next year you're going to have a child. And at that point, Sarah kind of laughs and goes, yeah, this, right, this is really going to happen. I'm too old. I'm way beyond childbearing years. There is no way I'm going to have a child. But because she realized that God had said it to her, she acted upon that and... Well, she didn't act upon it. I shouldn't say that. But she believed God, and um, <laughs> that didn't really come out right, did it? <laughs> she believed God and lived through it and had a child and then acknowledged from God, this, God is, this child is a gift from you, God. I am obeying you. You said it. I'm going to believe it. And they had their child. But their child, remember, then is Isaac, and that comes comes up a little bit later on here. Let's continue on. Um, Therefore, from one man, that's Abraham and Sarah, obviously together, from one man and him as good as dead because of his age, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. So how does this, you know, how does this work that God could make that kind of a promise And then he actually brings it to pass. It's the faith, because God said it, I can believe it. And we live in that same same place now. When God speaks to us 
through his word. Probably the number one way he speaks to us today is through his word. He also speaks through some of his spiritual gifts, prophecy, and through other people. Then we can take that. If we know that that's God speaking to us, we can act upon it. And we can live in faith in that. Now, in the first, first service, I, I stopped at this point, and I didn't go on, but, but John Columbus had something really important to say, and, and this is critical to this whole concept. These people heard from God. Did Abraham live to see his descendants as innumerable as the grains of sand? No. Did Sarah get to see that? Did uh, any of these people live to see that? So we've got to go on to verse 13. For all died, for these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, <clears throat> and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So when we think about this idea of faith, we go, oh, God said this, I'm going to believe him, I'm going to act upon it, and then it may not happen. It may not happen in the timing that we think God should bring this to pass. These people never saw it. They never saw the promise that was given to them. They never saw what God had said, this is what I'm going to do. Abraham, you are the father of nations. He didn't see it. But what God was asking, and what he asks of us, is to continue to be faithful as long as we can. So as long as we're alive and God's called us to something, we continue in that. We don't just stop because we didn't get what we wanted when we wanted it. That's not how God works. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not something that we get what we want from him. It's what he has planned, and that's what he asks from us in the concept of faith. So those are some that are uh, just examples. And, you know, there's a, another really great picture of, of a guy that um, we can probably identify a little more closely than we can from Abraham or Enoch or something like that. And that is uh, Peter. So in the Gospels, we know that Peter is one of these guys who's following Jesus. He's been called. But how did it get to that point? You know, and uh, we're going to take a look at a clip. But before we do that, I want to kind of set the scene. Has anybody in here seen The Chosen? Watch that online. You, you got the little app. Is there anybody who hasn't seen it? If you haven't, then you need to go online, download the app, and watch it because it is absolutely the most amazing um, movie scenes uh, or episodes, I guess I would say, of the life of Jesus. And they are incredible. They are so well done. And when you see this guy, Jesus, you will fall in love with him in a way that somehow, you know, just reading the text, we don't get all of that, but we can get it from this. So in this clip, it's going to come from uh, Luke chapter 5, and they, they show different sections of Scripture. But before we see what happens in Luke 5 with Jesus and the encounter with Peter, we need to put this all in context. So if we think about it, and we go back um, into, into Luke chapter 4, We've got to realize Jesus is just starting to begin his public ministry. 
And people have, don't really know who he is. He hasn't done a lot of stuff, but he's beginning it. And first of all, he encounters John the Baptist. And if you know anything about him, he's a guy who God had sent in preparation for Jesus to prepare the nation of Israel, those people, for their Messiah. And John has this kind of, you know, funny little character that you can, you can picture. And, it, you know, he's out in the wilderness and he's eating locusts and he's doing all these funny things. But he's preaching the word of God. And he's baptizing a lot of people, calling them to repentance. And so Jesus comes to John the Baptist and he gets baptized by him. The beginning of his public declaration of who he is. And when he does that, an amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit comes down and descends upon Jesus in a way that is described as a dove. And God says, this is my son. He has made that declaration. This is my son. You got to start listening to him. After the baptism, though, things kind of go a little difficult for Jesus. And he goes out into the wilderness. He's led by the Holy Spirit. And Satan comes and decides to tempt him. He's trying to get him to turn from who he is, turn from his faith in God, which is taking God at his word, and he tempts him. And every time that Jesus rebukes Satan, he does it with scripture. He has the word of God that that's what he's using to rebuke Satan. Then after that, he comes back and he goes into the synagogue, the public place of worship, and they ask him if he wants to teach, if he wants to read something. He brings out the big scroll. He turns it to Isaiah 61, which is a prophet, Old Testament prophetic scripture of who the Messiah was going to be. So picture this. People are gathering around. Here's this kind of new guy in town. He pulls out the scriptures. He rolls it out, and he reads Isaiah 61. I've come from the Lord. I've come to heal the captives. I've come to set them free. And this begins it. So now we move forward a little bit further, and we see that Jesus is in the town of Capernaum, which is right on the Sea of Galilee, and it's really cool. We had the chance to go there a few years ago. You go into Capernaum, and you walk up the steps to the, the city part, and the really cool thing is this, there are steps there that... <clears throat> Wow, this just gets me. There are steps there that Jesus walked on. They are the original steps from 2,000 years ago. So you're walking into this place that all of this happened, that Jesus did all of this, and it becomes real. So you walk up the steps, and here on the left is the synagogue. So if you're a Jew, that's where you're going to go to worship. Well, Jesus had been in that synagogue. The actual synagogue is different today today. It got rebuilt along the way, but it's the place. And he, had, he was there. He taught. People saw him. People heard him. People saw him do healing, miraculous things. Right across the street from that is Peter's house. Now, it's still just the foundations and stuff, but you can look and see where the different rooms are. It's been excavated. And they built this incredible building over top of it that you can walk up and all glass floors so you can look down into it and say, well... Peter was here. Jesus was here. And what did Jesus do when he went into Peter's house? If you remember, Peter's mother-in-law was sick, had an incredible fever, and Jesus healed her. 
So Peter has heard him in the synagogue. You know, Peter is a good Jewish boy. Um, he saw his mother-in-law healed miraculously. And now we move forward. This is sort of the background moving forward. We're into chapter 5 now of Luke. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Peter, he asked him to put out uh, a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, Peter, answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help him. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon, and they were also going to be disciples, and Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So what do we learn from Peter in this? And how does this apply to the idea of taking God at his word? Well, first thing I think of is Peter's there and Jesus has this crowd of people along the shore and he's teaching them and you know, he's kind of going, okay, I've got work to do. I've got to clean the nets. We didn't have a very good night last night. And then Jesus comes over to him and says, I want to get in your boat because if I'm here, people can hear me better. And he's probably really just frustrated at this point. You know, I'm not making any money. You're going to hold me up. You're going to disrupt my program here. But okay, go ahead and do it. And then Jesus, after he dismisses the people, has the nerve to say to him, go ahead and throw your nets out again. And, and Peter has to say, oh, I'm a professional. I do this for a living. You're this kind of itinerant preacher guy, the new guy in town. Okay, so you healed my mother-in-law, big deal. But now, <laughs> maybe some of us would say that about our mother-in-laws, but we really shouldn't do that. I have a wonderful mother-in-law. Um, Boy, that was a bad sidetrack. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I can recover from that one. Um, so G Peter is rebelling against Jesus' authority and telling him what to do. And finally he says, okay, okay, because you said it, and I don't see him going, yeah, you said it, I, I believe, and you're so wonderful and all this, I think he probably had, this is kind of in the margins, this is what I think, that he said to him, okay, we'll do it. We'll give it a shot. I know it's not going to work. You're wasting my time. The nets are already clean. They're going to be dirty again. I got all this extra work, but fine. 
because you said it, I'll do it. They obviously go out, so the, the net's in, and they get this incredible catch, probably enough money from those fish to, to pay for their future um, care for his family and pay for the, the work that he's going to do. Bring the fish in, and then Peter realizes, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah. This is the one we, the Jews, have been waiting for. And he falls down and says, I'm a sinful man, and confesses who he believes Jesus to be. And Jesus um, affirms him, don't worry, we've got bigger plans. Take me at my word. You are going to be an incredible man, and an incredible person for the kingdom. And so that, that's the clip we're going to see. Not yet, Chris. Um, but then the, it, you kind of fast forward about three years and something very interesting happens. And it's in, let me tell you, John chapter 21. John 21, they're back on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has been crucified. That is all taking place. He is resurrected. He's now walking around on earth interacting with people. We know there were 500 people that saw him uh, at one point. His disciples saw him. And now they have gone back to the Sea of Galilee. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing. What are they, what are they at? They're out fishing again. So here we are, Sea of Galilee, kind of put the scene together. Fishermen out on the boat, Jesus on the shore. Not a lot of people around. They had a bad night. They didn't catch any fish. You see where this is going? Jesus says to them, hey, throw your net out on the right side. They go, okay, who is this guy? They don't recognize him at this point. They throw the net out, an incredible catch. They're in that same thing. Peter has got to, at some level, be, be saying, I've seen this before. This is kind of like deja vu, but he doesn't get it. John looks out and says, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. Peter's eyes are open. He throws himself in the water and he comes to Jesus. <laughs> comes to Jesus literally. Um, and at that point, Jesus then reinstates him because this is right after Peter has denied him three times. And so this whole thing kind of comes full circle where he begins to see Jesus and understand where he's supposed to be going and what his ministry is supposed to be. He's taking God his word. God told, Jesus told him that you're going to do incredible things now after Jesus' resurrection, and he reinstates Peter at that point. So here's the, here's the, the clip. Uh, just watch it and enjoy it, and hopefully from this you'll take the rest of the uh, episodes from The Chosen. I have some business to attend to with my new friend. that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. All right. 
to a word. sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. I will do. Follow me. I will. So there we see a picture of God coming to a man giving him the word, and the man taking God at his word. And Peter's life, if we read the rest of the, the New Testament, and particularly in Acts, 
he takes on a whole different role, responsibility, and becomes one of the foundations of the church. So, you know, that this is all really, really great, and we can talk about it, and we can look at the verses, but the question is, does it make a difference in our lives? You know, um, do we really take God at his word? One, one passage in there that I didn't read was Abraham then, a little later in his life, is asked to sacrifice his son. And so Abraham's got to be thinking, going, all right, this is my son. He's going to be part of this whole generation of people. All the people are going to be blessed by him. And God's asking me to sacrifice him. This doesn't really fit with who I think God is. Abraham takes uh, Isaac to the point where he's ready to sacrifice him. And then God stops, stops him from doing that and provides a lamb for that sacrifice. Now, you know, some of these verses that we read are really impactful for us. And that is one story of being asked to take God at his word that impacts me. Because when our son Kyle was born, he was 10 pounds, 13 ounces. They put him in the neonatal unit. Now, if you know anything about neonatal units... Uh, that doesn't happen. Derek's son, Lewis, was in there, and, and he was a little bit less than 10 pounds, 13 ounces. Um, but that's a story that Derek will have to share with you. But I got home that night, no information from the hospital, no information from the doctors. Why do you have this giant kid in a neonatal unit? And I didn't get any answers from them. So I'm sitting there, uh, with our daughter Carrie and she's about two years old Kathy's in the hospital Kyle's in the hospital I have no idea what's going on and I'm crying out to God God you need to speak to me I need to know what it is that I need to hear that I can act on faith so I did the very spiritual thing I went dropped it it fell open and guess where it fell open to that passage where God said, take your son, and I, my eyes went right to it, take your son, whom you love, and sacrifice him to me. And I said, God, I, I don't believe that you're asking me to literally sacrifice my son, but you need to speak to me. You need to give me something from this that I can take and I can live on. And what he said was, your children belong to me. You think that they're yours. They belong to me. I love them, and I've got things under control, so you need to trust me. That has stuck with me for 38 years, That God, a place that God had spoken very clearly and asked me to take him at his word. So as we move forward and, and end our service, I want to encourage all of us to ask God, what is it that you're saying to me? What is it that you're saying to me through your word? What is it that you're saying to me through your Holy Spirit? What am I supposed to take from you, God, and act on it and believe in it? So I've asked Derek to come up and we can just share a couple of things since we've got a few minutes of what does that look like in a practical way in reality that we can all uh, can learn from and then we'll give a few minutes for us to have some just quiet time for us individually and personally to interact with God on that. What, what jumps out at you? Um, what, what it looks like to ask God to speak to me? Tell me. 
I, it's that. open-ended question. Oh, it's, it's open-ended. Um, man, that, uh, that's, um, I mean, I don't know. I'm the one to answer this. I just happen to be the guinea pig that's nearby. Um, well, there were some other people I offered to ask. and pass this and, around. Emma and, would and, it, and hey, sure. these mics are open, by the way. So I would say if anybody has a response to this, let's open this up to all of us. But, you know, just thinking about how we ask God to speak to us. I know for me, man, if I, if I don't take time every day, um, whether that's in the morning or mid-morning or noon or afternoon, sometime during the day, take some time to just be in his counsel. Take some time just to, to think, to pray. To, to read his word, I mean, that's part of it too. Um, and sometimes, for me, I do it right over here. I'm at work and I just take a walk for 20 minutes or half an hour. And, and I have, don't take my phone with me. I just go and don't have an agenda. And I think, I, well, first, we have, first thing I have to do is I have to be open to receive that word. If that's a remembrance of the scripture, if that's a, a prompting of the Holy Spirit, I have to be open and make time for that. That's what's important. Okay. Can you think of a specific situation where God has called you to something he has spoken to you, whether through his word or otherwise, that you've seen him then take you through that and seen him be faithful as the scripture says that he is? Oh, yeah. I think one of those, one of those things for me is... is uh, the, the, the idea of giving, the idea of giving to someone else. Um, because, you know, we live in Aspen, but there are needs around us. And sometimes those are, are friends of ours, people we know. And for me, that prompting to, to remember that he is my provider, and this has happened on more than one occasion, the Lord saying or showing me a need and... And so I realize, maybe not always quickly, first time he says it, maybe it's a second or third time, but the Lord is asking me to do something about that need. And that's always, uh, that's always an opportunity to just feel God and know that he is providing and that he is uh, prompting me because there are needs that sometimes we don't know about. And so we step toward it, and I've had this happen a number of times, you step toward it, and you don't even know someone has a need. But when you start digging in or you say, hey, you know, I want to help you with this. I feel like God's put you on my heart. And I've thought about you for three days when I'm praying, and that's just out of the blue. There's something there, God's speaking to us and saying, hey, remember this person. Go check on them. Go find out if there is a need or just go give to them. And so I think um, for me that's a very present way. Okay. Yeah. You know, one of the things, well, three of the things that we're talking about here in the church is the idea of microchurch, discipleship, um, and community groups. And so in those, I, I, think, I think that there's an opportunity, and I've seen it particularly with the Word of God, where somebody says, well, I've got this situation going on, and I read this verse, and I'm going to act upon that. And um, the situation was such that what they were saying and what they were trying to say, all right, this is, this is what God's saying, didn't ring true. I think the Holy Spirit was speaking, saying, you need to interact with them a little bit more on this, in fact, a lot more on this, or they're going to make a bad decision on the wrong use of Scripture. And so what we did, uh, we sat there, and it was a small group, a discipleship group, and we said, all right, so this is the verse you're talking about. 
what are other verses that talk about that same subject matter that you can think of? And we came up with one, two, three, five, and all of a sudden, Scripture didn't bear out just this one little piece the way this person wanted to interpret it. We then pulled out our concordance, which we had on our phones because we're digital, and probably had about 25 more verses that we had to interact with to see what was God saying through the totality of Scripture and the unity of people um, counseling together. Does anything like that ring true with you? Yeah, absolutely. Just the community and uh, people around us speaking to us, reminding us of things, praying with people. Um, I think there's this simple, inherent, sometimes unspoken accountability when we're in Christian community that, that God just has in place. It's us protecting one another, and He's doing it through just the fellowship uh, of, of Christians coming together because we do get the opportunity to, to, even when we walk away from that community, I know I'm responsible to that community somehow, uh, even before I even think about it. And I know that community. Somebody told me this morning, just Bill Jackson, just about praying for me and praying for my family. And oh man, it was just, I, I was in tears over here just listening to him and just so grateful. That's, that's huge to know someone is praying for you, right? Ooh, <laughs> you too. Yeah, yeah. And, and those are things that the scriptures encourage us and teach us to do. Yeah that we need to take God at his word, that we should be praying for one another. That's a great example. But uh, we're going to take a few minutes. Derek's going to lead us in a little bit of music, and then we'll, we'll close it out. But just really say, turn, turn our hearts to God and ask him, what do you want to say to me now? What is it that I need to hear from you? Um, is there something in Scripture that I'm supposed to take at your word that you've been telling me but I haven't been following? And if, if he does bring something like that to you and you want to share it, we have the mics open here on both sides. And uh, if you have something to share to encourage the body, to build us up, to make us our faith grow, then do that. So uh, let's take a few minutes and then just follow Derek. Thank you for listening to this message. To hear other messages or learn more about Crossroads Church, visit our website at ccaspen.com.